Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again for All Things Evangelism. I'm really excited to spend some time with you today to talk about what to say when you don't know what to say. And so today on the podcast, I've invited Kate back to to participate with us in this discussion because because Kate Gariga is uh, who works in the evangelism department. She feels like she's the worst person to speak to this subject because she's someone who never knows what to say when yes. she doesn't know what to say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Blake Penlin, who we see as the opposite end of the spectrum, who always knows what to say Not when he all. doesn't know what to say. So guys, this is a fun podcast topic. And we just thought one, one of the things that serves as a barrier to witness, to evangelism, is the fact that in a lot of situations, we just don't know what to say. We don't know what to communicate. In we've all had those moments, right? Where we just feel devoid of the spirit, devoid of the freedom to say something. And we're just in kind of a traffic jam in our minds when it comes to communicating uh, with others. Yeah, maybe I'll just kick this conversation off by saying that I've spent years of my life in communities, just meeting people, strangers, and talking to them about Jesus and, and myself and them and just getting to know people and building relationships. And there have been lots of occasions where I just find myself at a loss to, to speak. Have you guys ever been in a situation, a circumstance where it's, you're a representative of the church or, you're, or even if nobody even knows that you're a Christian, but you just, you're talking to someone and you just don't know what Yes. All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> okay. So for Kate, that's no surprise. But for you, Blake, that is a surprise. Oh, yeah. Because you're very articulate, you're very thoughtful, and you always have good things to say. So oh, it's uh, the crazy thing is when you're in ministry long enough, you're going to be put in situations where people, they just stump you. Like they, they ask you questions that you're just like, I didn't even know that was on the spectrum of questions to be asked. I've been bamboozled would be the right word on multiple occasions. Oftentimes I do a little Nehemiah prayer. In the beginning, Nehemiah doesn't know what to say, but as he's walking up to the king, he says a little prayer in his heart. So that you can deal, so you can talk to the king the right way. But many times I've had situations where I was like, I have no idea what to say this. I'll give you, I actually have a little example I want to give you because this just happened to me. Yep. I had no idea what to say about this. Someone recently left our church, come to our church for four or five years, left our church out of the blue and basically said, hey, I'm leaving church. No longer want to be a part of church. Thank you so much for the time that I've been around. You've taught me about the truth about what happens when you die. Now I don't have to be afraid of eternal hellfire so I can leave the church in peace. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, that's not really how we normally do things, but <laughs> yep. that is a, that's a thing that can, I didn't know what to say. I still don't even know what to say. Where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Oh, since you're not terrified of God and you're not worried about getting burned forever, <laughs> You can You're fine with just going out and living a riotous life and being lost. And that's basically what they've done. They've just said, hey, I'm going to go back. And they said, I'm going back to drinking and, and partying. And, and now I don't have to be afraid. And I'm just like, okay, I don't, I don't know what to say. But here's the thing. This reminds me of, I'm not sure if it's Ellen White who says this. So I could be wrong on this quote. But the idea of fear should not be the reason why one is in a relationship with Jesus. And so clearly that's why she was in this relationship with Jesus. At least I didn't know that, but that's where she's coming from. And so because she has this fearful idea of who God is, once the fear is taken away, the relationship as well goes. So 
And that's yeah. probably not a normal situation because I've been in ministry for a while. I've never, ever heard anything like that before. So what to say when you don't know what to say? I still don't know sometimes. You yeah. know, and that's okay. It's right. funny, brother, because I've heard similar thinking before in, in Bible studies, just with people in the past where I'm sharing the scripture and in regards to the fate of the wicked. And yeah, and I've heard people say that who say, if I give up this view, then what incentive is there to stay faithful to God? And I'm like, you have to think too, the whole purpose of why we're doing the Bible studies and why ultimately we're going to spend eternity with the Lord is not to escape punishment, but to be in the presence of God. Those are very different incentives. Like I don't want to go to heaven so that I don't want to go to heaven to escape hellfire. I want to go to heaven to hang out with Jesus. Like he's my best friend. And I don't understand why he's my best friend all the time because I do a lot of dumb stuff and yet he still loves me. And and he loves other people as well too. And we're going to be able to live in a world where there's no more cancer, no more pain, no more suffering, no more issues. And it's a really good feeling. But that's why I want to go is because I want to be with him, not because I'm afraid of death. So just so guys, back to, just to the subject of not knowing what to say. So yeah, look, you didn't know what to say in this particular situation. Do we always have to have something to say? No, I, I don't think so. There's been times when I'm doing like a funeral, right? So a couple things. My favorite things to do as a pastor are baptisms and weddings, and they're on the on par. Baptisms are just amazing, but weddings are almost just as amazing because it's two people uniting their life with the Lord forever, and that's... And also they have cake, so it helps. Uh, so those two things, actually, we do baptismal cakes as well, too. So that's one thing we do at church that I was like, hey, we got to get some cake involved. In this <laughs> so just spice it up with some cakes. Um, so when somebody asks you to baptize them, do you say you're going to have cake there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have a whole celebration. We have a gift basket. We do the whole thing up in the front. We have a Because we, we actually celebrate it as a rebirth day because right. you're being reborn. So you got to have cake for a birthday. Anyway. I diverse and I divulge. It's my, I love cake. Anyway, moving past that. When, so I love doing those two things, but the thing I hate doing, I don't like doing are funerals. And oftentimes, especially for funerals, for people who there's no good answer why that person passed away, especially young people or a suicide or a baby who's passed away from sickness. And when someone says, why would God do this? What ultimately, like in my heart, I know that God didn't do this. It was, it's actually the result of sin, but this is not the time or the place to go into a theological debate to explain the whole great controversy and just to prove that actually it's not God, it's Satan. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing and just being in the presence with that person and reminding them like, I'm here for you. I'm with you. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. That's it. I, I really sense, and I don't know what you think about this, Kate, but I really sense as Adventists because we believe that we're bringing a message to the world and to other believers in Christ that is restorative in nature. So the idea is that something has been lost through the ages in Christianity, and that's Jesus, obviously, as he really is, and his teachings as they really were taught by the prophets. And so we feel because of that, we have to have all the answers all the time. But maybe that's not a... Definitely not. And I think silence is much better than saying the wrong thing. So say at a funeral, somebody might say, yeah, but God needed another angel in heaven, and that's why he took your daughter. And it's just like a mm. silence would be much 
more appropriate. Silence and a hug would be much more appropriate than yeah. saying things that are not true just to say something. Oh, That's absolutely. It. And so, so, and two, I wanted to frame this conversation before we began, but didn't have a chance. But what are the, and I'll do this with a question. What are the different scenarios we can find ourselves in as representatives, ambassadors of Jesus, where we don't have something to say? Obviously, there's just like a casual, friendly conversation with just someone on the street. So I'm a Christian. I know I'm a witness. I'm speaking to someone. I'm not witnessing per se, but I just may not have anything to say. Sometimes I'm just in an antisocial mood. So there's just like the normal social settings where I just don't have something to say because I'm not inspired to talk to people. That's just like the number one. Any other scenarios? Obviously, witnessing things. So you're doing a ministry, working at the juice bar at, at Raymond Terrace. You're one of the workers there. You're just not, you're talking to people. Maybe somebody asks a spiritual question and you just don't know what to say or a Bible study. Any other contexts where yeah. you find yourself at a loss to say anything? Couple, a couple of things... I will say I get thrown off less than I used to. I made a, it's going to be weird, but I made a deal with God a long time ago that if people ask me to buy drugs, I would tell them the gospel of Jesus. Now, I know that's probably not like a normal deal that you make with the Lord, but for whatever reason, I look like a guy who sells drugs. And so random people will come up to me even now and be like, hey, I want to buy drugs off your, and I'll be like, okay. You don't know what you got yourself into. I got to tell you about Jesus now. So conversation super crazy. I had this Wiccan jump out of a bush one time. I'm going on the river trail, walking through. He's hitting me up for some methamphetamine. I was like, buddy, I don't have methamphetamine, but you got to walk with me. And we walked for the next, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. Just talking about the Bible, talking about Christ, talking about everything about like the story of redemption. And it was a really weird experience. But this is because before I get into that situation, I'm talking to the Lord and saying, if I get into this situation, please give me the words to say in that situation. So anytime someone asks me to buy drugs, we go straight into a Bible study. So I don't know if that's a normal experience for everyone else, but for whatever reason, I definitely have something going on where people are like, this guy's got drugs. And I'm like, actually, I've got Jesus. We're going (laughs) to Another thing, when people ask you questions like at the juice bar, and they ask you this question that you don't know the answer to, and you don't know what to say. One of the best things to say is, I don't actually know the answer to that. But I'd love to look into that further and maybe meet up with you next week. And we can dive into that through a Bible study. Would that be something you'd be interested in? Authenticity and transparency is something that's really, especially in kind of the neo-traditionalist millennial age group. So basically like people born in the eighties and afterwards, they love this new authenticity of saying, I don't have the answer, but I'm happy to go look into that and have this conversation with you at another time. And people crave that people like that. It's much better to, we live in this celebrity culture where it's fake it till you make it. But that's just like what the world does. Like instead just be truthful and honest and say, Hey, I don't, I don't actually have the answer to that question. It's a great question. But I can get you that answer. Maybe we can meet up next week for a cuppa and or a juice at New Star Juice, and we can have a, a Bible study and talk about that. That's a great question. Sometimes the best answer is to say, I don't have the best answer. So just to the framing of this conversation, so there's, I don't know what to say in, number one, a Bible study. I don't know what to say when in at a funeral. I don't know what to say when I'm interacting with someone in a seed sowing ministry. I don't know what to say when I'm, but there's lots of contexts in which you just don't know what to say. And there's a couple things that we've mentioned in regards to this, like in response to this. Number one, you said the Nehemiah prayer. And it'd be cool if we could talk about that again in a second. Yeah. And then I mentioned the fact that 
sometimes, and Kate talked about it a bit, sometimes you just don't need to, to say things. And there is a Holy Spirit, and He does work in people's hearts and lives. And sometimes the most profound way to affect someone is just keep your mouth shut. Ellen White says that on some subjects, silence is, is, is golden. Silence is eloquence, she says. And so there's a time just to be comfortable not having anything to say, but with a warm and love-filled heart, just be, be there with people. And, or, and like what you're saying here, Blake, sometimes you can say, I, I, I don't know what to say, but I'm at a loss. And sometimes you being at a loss impresses people with the gravity of what they've said or the depth. You know, sometimes it, if somebody, I've, I've had this at Arise, we'll, we'll get certain students that like, they, you can just tell they really want to stump the teacher. Like they, they're just going to, it's going to make them feel so good about themselves. And as a teacher, when, when you've identified one of these students, your natural egotism wants to ensure that you always have answers to answer because you never want this kid to get one up on you. But that's just selfish and silly. So the best thing to do for those students is when they ask a question that you really don't know the answer to, sometimes it's good to just, for them, because they feel almost affirmed and I am smart. I did ask a question that even a teacher didn't have the capacity to answer. And sometimes there are seekers in that type of a situation where they're thinking deeply, they've got real good thoughts, and they've come to good questions. And sometimes when you come off like you just think everything, sometimes it does not impress them because they'll think, well, yeah. Anyways, just I'll tell you, it's hard to stump those Arise teachers, though. (laughs) So I just want to throw that out there. That's not – that's harder – but it's easier said than done kind of thing. Being one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, Kate. Yeah, I was going to say, in my last job, we used to try to give out books to to our clients, Great Controversy or Desire of Ages or Ministry of Healing. And sometimes... I just didn't know how to start that conversation and I would wait for, for them to bring up something that could be a bit of a segue and some of my clients were dying of cancer or I, I thought this could be the only chance that I get with them and I've only got 20 minutes of my session left and so sometimes I would just say, okay, God, send up that prayer. What do I say? And sometimes it was clunky and and I think we always want to be elegant and we always want to say things in the right way and at appropriate timing. But sometimes I, I would just say, so do you know Jesus? <laughs> it just, it, it had no context at all. But I just, I was like, okay, I've got no time with this guy. And I remember one guy in particular, he he said, actually, yes, my, my friend told me about him and I've been looking at the Bible and we gave him a desire of ages. And he sent us a, an email week saying, I'm sitting on my boat And I'm reading it. I think he was like a quarter of the way through already of Desire of Ages. And he said, it's been a huge blessing. And I never saw him again. It's you just sometimes you just got to take the opportunities, even if you don't know what to say in an elegant way, just say something. Sometimes people hear your intent as well, like your sincerity. And that's probably more important than speaking perfectly. Yes. It reminds me of the saying too: preach, always preach the gospel. If necessary, use words like your demeanor, your actions, your rapport with people should be explaining and expressing the gospel of Christ at all times. And then when necessary, you can open your mouth and actually speak. So not knowing what to say is sometimes totally okay because you are communicating the love of God through your actions. And actions definitely speak louder than words. I can think of of my mom's story. Her parents were bank robbers and basically told my mom like oh we love you uh, but then and my grandfather was like a, he was a pimp as well too so told my mom hey we love you but at the same time committing these crimes and even to the point thankfully it didn't happen but attempted to 
prostitute my mom out when she was eight years old, but the government took her away by God's grace so that that didn't happen. But so he's saying, I love you, but his actions are completely opposite and terrible. So sometimes if you don't know what to say, but your actions are communicating love, it's even more powerful than anything you can, you can say. So like that, and that's where the authenticity comes through as well too, like making sure that what we're communicating verbally is, you know, congruent with our, our physical actions and our social interaction with people. Totally. I had this situation just recently where I discovered that a person who actually just, who had come to the Arise program and I'd had a relationship with, for those most people who listen to our podcast know Arise, it's just the personal ministries department in North New South Wales discipleship program that we partner with um, Lightbearers Ministry to, to run here every year. But yeah, just to give a plug for that ministry, it's actually something that our conference funds and directs. We just use the name and have Ty and David teach in the program. But he'd come, just a great guy, like such a sweet, decent, just great guy. And uh, his wife, they both came to the Rise program. And just recently, I discovered that they had a child. And when the baby was taking its first breath, it wasn't able to get oxygen. It breathed in some of the, the fluid from the womb. And then in that fluid was a bit of the fecal matter. They call it myconium. And when that gets into your lungs, it's really bad. It can cause some serious complications. So like as soon as you take that little baby, takes the first breath of air, a whole bunch of biological processes kind of start. And those processes are very important. And so it's really essential that the baby takes like a good oxygen-filled first breath. But when that doesn't happen and then the lungs fill up with this toxic, yucky stuff. Yeah, all those, it's like throwing a monkey wrench, not in one piece of machinery, but in multiple pieces of machinery at the same time. And it happens regularly and most babies are fine, but some, it's really bad. So they had to take their their child down to Sydney, ICU for days and life support. And it was really crazy. And when I heard about it and in the light of how lovely these guys are, like they're just the kind of people who you just think, oh, this is tragic because they're easy to have sympathy for because they're just such great people. Sweet, kind, generous, awesome. And and I just was telling my, as soon as I found out, Sharice told me and she's like in tears. Yeah, this happened to this couple. And I'm just like, oh, I don't, I like didn't want to call them. Not that I didn't want to, I wanted to call them and talk and express my concern and let them know that we're here to support them. But at the same time, I didn't because I knew that there's nothing that I could say. What am I going to say to make it? You can't say anything to make it better. So, what do you, so you're in this kind of conundrum like where you think, I want to call to express my concern and care. Because as a conference person and someone who ran the ministry that was a blessing to these guys' lives, th- that would mean a lot. So mm. I'm just like, okay, so what do you do? I have nothing to say. And then I, I just thought, I did the whole Nehemiah prayer thing. I says, Lord, it's the right thing to do to call. And it's the right thing to do to express my concern and care and support. And so I'm just going to do it, even though I have nothing to say. Like in the sense that I did have something to say, but I never thought anything I would say would be adequate or sufficient. And I just went forward in faith. And interestingly, like I'm not, the the whole point too, behind the point I'm going to make is that it's not about me in the first place. So why am I thinking in a performative sense? I might not say the right thing and whatever. The whole, that's not even the point. The point is to just show that I care and to, to care with my words to the to the best, to, to the degree that I can. And so that's what I did. And I really felt that was accomplished. Like I, in the sincerity in my heart, just showed concern and said what I could say as carefully and as cautiously as I could, but I did. And I, I just think the conversation went well and I was able to communicate the concern, not only of myself, but of my family. And so this is just an example. And I think the, the point I want to make is that sometimes we just have to have faith. Mm. And sometimes God creates the words as we move forward in faith. 
we always want to like script everything out five steps in advance so that we'll be, we'll be perfectly safe. But like, where's faith in that? Like, where's faith? So I think we just got to reduce the situation down to its essence and go, do I really care? And if you really care, then go and try to care with your words and mm-hmm. say what you think is the best thing to say to that person. I think that's a good, re- that's a good like formula for what to say when you don't know what to say. You just do that Nehemiah prayer like Blake was talking about. You don't think about you. You just try to care with your words as much as you possibly can. Yeah, it, and, and I'm, I'm just thinking too, there's a chapter in Patriarchs and Prophets. I think it's called Why Was Sin Permitted? It's the first chapter. And something along the lines of this book, it says something like if you attempt to give a reason for sin to excuse it, I'm probably messing the words up maybe better than I do, but like sometimes you shouldn't say anything. Like Jesus, like the whole plan of redemption is, Satan is making these accusations against God that are just clearly not true. And God could have very easily, in a very ju- like in a judgment way, said, no, those are false, and then zapped Satan and he would have been gone. But instead, he says, he just lets it play out. So God doesn't actually say anything. He's already said his peace. He's already shown his love. And then Satan's making these accusations. But instead of fighting the accusations... He just allows his actions to speak for himself. So there's going to be times in our experience and our walk as well, too, because people are influenced by sin that they're going to say things about us. They're going to they're going to say things against us, against our church, against our families that there is no answer for what to say when you don't know what to say. Like sometimes you don't you can't say anything. So you're talking, Matt, about this sympathetic, empathetic situation where you want to reach out. But there's the other side, too, when people are defaming your name and your character and throwing you under the bus and ridiculing you like they did Jesus. It's uh, the imagery that I get is like being spat in the face. I don't know if anyone's ever been spat in the face. I have been on several occasions. It's one of the most disgusting, one of the most terrible things that can happen. And you just and Jesus, that's what happened to him as well, too. And sometimes there just isn't anything to say. You just have to take it on the chin and go, literally, that's, I just got to do that. Like that, I can't believe that just happened, but I'm not going to respond because there's nothing worth responding to. So there are several situations that there really isn't anything to say when certain situations happen, but praying that Nehemiah prayer to God saying, give me the right words to say or not to say, I think it's really important because maybe that prayer could lead to you just being silent as well, too. Yeah. And uh, I used no, to... that's what it was. Sorry. It's if you give reason for sin, you excuse it. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I studied life coaching and in life coaching, they used to say, let silence do the heavy lifting. So if somebody is trying to work something out and they ask you a question and you, I don't know, say something, don't try and fill the gap <laughs> because the silence is where the, the work happens. But there's a pastor like who used to yeah, that's a great, that's really but good terminology. But silence heavy lifting, yeah. <laughs> when I was first converted, a pastor named Bruce Wilkinson, who just met him at a mission school that I was at, and he said to me, he said, Matt, silence is your friend. The Holy Spirit works in the silence. And he was just saying, when you speak, if it's a sermon, let there be times of silence in a Bible study, you ask a question, don't answer it. Just let silence do its work. And I think that's right. That's a good point. It like compares to what you're saying. It like it's a similar idea. Yeah, and and don't be afraid. I just want to go further on that silence thing. Don't be afraid of the awkward moments in ministry, 
So going back to this, like what to say when you don't know what to say, allow the awkwardness to saturate the certain situations because that's exactly what's needed mm -hmm. to get past the superficial kind of fluff that is in a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. Matt, you and I have had some very deep conversations in our time, but that's because of our relationship. So relationship comes before rebuke, right? Relationship comes before revelation. And so when you are developing that relationship, don't just think that you have to have all the answers for everything. Just be with that person. Allow yourself to not know what to say in those situations and just show them by your actions. Like, well, I'm here. I, I may not know exactly what to say or what to do, but I'm not going anywhere because this relationship is important to me. Yes. No, that's great. That's a really practical tip in regards to witnessing in evangelism. I want to just maybe for the last few minutes, and you guys don't have to follow my lead here because you can just say whatever you want because you're free people. And that's what that's the rules of this podcast. It's all things evangelism, but we have a conversation about a specific topic that pertains to evangelistic outreach, but my guests are free as birds. But I just wanted to say Ecclesiastes 3, a very famous passage about how there's a time for everything. Time to, to live, time to die, time to kill, time to heal, time to speak, time to not speak. And I think that speak that text of scripture speaks to this conversation. What to say when you don't know what to say. People tend to look for rules. Give me a rule evangelism director that I could follow that applies to every situation. And then I say that there is none because there's a time for everything. Mm. There are times that you don't have something to say, but you need to speak anyways. There's, there are those times. And there are times where you want to say something and you don't have anything really good to say and you shouldn't say anything. And we have to decide what time it is. And I really feel that people, we, I can only speak for myself and those that I've met and spent my life with, interacting with. I, I believe that people tend to want to avoid making consequential decisions because of the responsibility that follows. So if I just have to decide, okay, now's the time to speak. I'm taking responsibility for the you know, results of what I say. And, and I think sometimes, yeah, anyway, so we want a formula, we want a prescription, and we want spiritual people to give us a prescription and say, okay, what do I say when I don't know what to say? Okay, I say these things and it'll always, actually it won't. You know what I'm saying? Life doesn't work that way. Relationships don't work that way. There's way more complexity to every situation than one standard answer that you could give in every situation. So I just want to say, there's a time for everything. Time to be quiet, time to speak. And so you have to make that decision. You have to make that call. And so I think we all should just be sure that we're as close to God as we can be. So that whatever decision we make, it can be bathed in the Spirit and it can be led of the Spirit. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. And, and maybe if you guys wanted to comment along those lines, um, then we'll close it out. We'll wrap it up. Do you want to say anything, Kate? Yeah, I just agree with what you just said. When we're connected to God, then it's much more likely that He can speak clearly. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and like the whole, you can't fill other people's cups until your cup is filled as well too. So to, I guess the premise of, if you expect to go and tell anybody something about evangelism or any a relationship with God or the Bible or the scriptures, but you haven't spent any time with the Lord in prayer or studying the word for yourself, you're, you got, you're going to have an empty platter. Like I, I think of like the hors d'oeuvres that are brought out at a fancy dinner party. They're just going to be empty. Everyone comes out and be like, oh, you want some appetizers? Too bad, because you haven't had 
any time to prepare the appetizers for anyone. So it's really important to, you know, get into the kitchen of spirituality and prepare the hors d'oeuvres and the appetizers so that when you have those conversations, when you have those dinner parties and those people are coming over, you actually have something to share, something to give instead of just a blank. A lot of analogies are food analogies. I was just about to say. Are you hungry? Just the other day, I got some new insight on the statement that Jesus makes when he says that we should not prepare ahead of time what we should say if we're brought before a council or a tribunal of of any sorts. And I don't think, but then at the same time, Peter says, um, be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks a reason for the hope that is in, in you with meekness and fear. So Jesus is not speaking against preparation, like being prepared to speak. But I think what he's telling us to to not do is script what you're going to say ahead of as if there's one script that you could pull out for every circumstance and situation. And, and if you could, then you'd be trusting on yourself and not on God. So when he says that God will give you at the moment, at the right moment, the right things to say, I think what he's, what he's really emphasizing, what Jesus is really getting at is you just need to trust in God when you're in a situation that you can't handle. Okay, mm-hmm. so he's not saying don't prepare your, your mind, don't develop your arguments, don't develop your intellect, don't really have solid reasons that you can give answers to. That's just what all Christians should do because we have an intelligent walk with God, yeah. and we're as we relate to God, He's educating and teaching us, and we're learning from His Word. So we're going to have good answers to share. But I think what He's saying is make sure that you're not depending upon yourself when you get brought before councils because you're not going to get you're going to need the right word at the right time from the God who knows everything. And so you got to trust in the Lord. This reminds me of a non-food analogy. So I know I'm, I'm zagging well here. All right, let's hear it. Wrap it up with this, uh, brother. So this one is very interesting. Like in American football, so I used to play American football. We actually run our, our region when I was in high school, so state regional champs. But then I got kicked out of public school and went to the Adventist school where someone paid for me to go, and we played. I never lost a tackle football game, and then I went to go play flag football, and I never won a flag football game after that. The Lord built me for a different game. But anyway, in it, the right before the game, you had a scripted set of... plays right this is the script we're gonna go boom boom boom, hit all these plays in a row but then there was another script of plays that were what we called situational game plan basically and so it's good to know the whole playbook you got to know the playbook you got to spend time in the playbook understand the playbook from left to right front to back and understand it and it's also it's good to have a plan for the playbook when you're doing evangelism but it's so important to have situational awareness because you don't know what the game is going to bring. And if you don't know the whole playbook, you only know the script that you're going to follow. When the situation changes and you don't are not familiar with the whole playbook, your game plan is going to be thrown out the window and you got to change things up depending on different people in, in evangelism as well as in football as well too. So understanding the playbook, the Bible, and having situational awareness I think is what what Jesus is talking about and what what Peter and, and Paul give us in the epistles as well. Brilliant, brother. That's an amazing illustration. And I think we'll just leave everyone with that. I hope everyone that you've been as blessed as I have to be a part of this conversation, to hear us out. And um, we always appreciate bringing these podcasts to you. Please keep us and our conference in your prayer prayers. And yeah, we look forward to chatting with you and hanging out next week. God bless.